Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Payne, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Langston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is a method and language of integrated practice. It brings the worlds of therapy and conditioning together and helps them become more powerful and more practical. If you live in one or both of these worlds or you use the services of a therapist or conditioning coach, you know that sometimes they don't see eye to eye. They aren't on the same page. Reconditioning provides a time-tested process for aligning these two worlds and creating impactful solutions to performance problems. Follow them at ReconditioningHQ on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or become a member of their Facebook group, Reconditioning HQ Revolution, and join the Reconditioning Revolution. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston, and today I have the honor of speaking with Rachel Martin. Rachel believes in the power of the human spirit to overcome, to thrive, and to find deep joy. And because of that, she pours her heart out through many platforms. Having pulled herself up from poverty of being named one of Inc. Magazine's top 40 entrepreneurs, she's been writing online for over a decade. She is the writer behind the site FindingJoy.net, the author of life-changing Find Your Heart, Heart Book, the brave heart of mother, art of motherhood. Her site reaches millions. Her content has been translated into over 25 languages, and she has a robust, engaged Facebook community. Beyond writing, speaking, podcasting, designing, media, and consulting, Rachel is the mom of seven, yes, seven kids. I am truly honored to have her on the show today as she defines the title of this podcast, and her story will surely inspire. Welcome, Rachel. Well, thank you. I'm super excited to be here today. So thank you. Well, I was going to say, I, I've worked with uh, a lot of Olympic medalists and world champions and all this kind of stuff. And you deserve an Olympic medal for any mom who has seven kids deserves an Olympic medal for sure. Well, thank you. Thank you. I always say that uh, us moms need like the gold stars. So I'll take an Olympic medal. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure many of the things that you have to do to pre- prepare your day are even far beyond the, the, the requisite that when we We'll get into it a little bit. But my first question for you, actually, is you're a Minnesota girl. You moved to Nashville. Does that mean that you are required to become a country music fan? No, it's not required. If you talk to my 13-year-old, he'll tell you that he's trying desperately to not. But I will say that there is an interesting combining of the two dialects, the Minnesota don't you know, and the South. So my kids will now say, don't you know y'all? They kind of speak together. <laughs> a hybrid language. Yes, <laughs> yes. It is. it's a good hybrid. <laughs> so you, I understand, was, was, were the oldest of four growing up. Um, how did being the oldest define you? Well, I think with the old, being the oldest, you're the rookie for your parents. Like they have no idea what they're doing and that's okay. None of us do. And Being the oldest, uh, I was the one that was always testing the limits, trying to figure out what the path was with my parents. For my uh, my siblings, they could kind of come in and like if you're water skiing, they were in the wake a little bit. But I was always the pushing of the limits person. Uh, I loved being the oldest. I think it defined a lot of who I am, the drive that I have, uh, the desire that I have to kind of push limits and to figure out potential and possibilities. More than, I'm sorry, go ahead. Was was there any resentment as you grew up with the the, the role of being the one who had to uh, break the mold all the time? Uh, 
Not, you know, probably a little bit. Uh, there was more of like, I could see that it was easier uh, in some ways, but, you know, being the oldest, you get different type of honors and privileges. Uh, the first to do things that you're always that person. Uh, my parents have this memory of, I played basketball in high school hmm. and we, they, it was a smaller high school. And when my sister would play one time, she played with me. And my, my dad has this fantastic memory of the announcer saying my maiden name was Maxon. Maxon to Maxon to Maxon as we were, we were on a breakaway. So there, there were benefits to it as well. <laughs> um, how, what did your mom and dad represent to you as, as you were growing up? And, and what roles did they play in your life? In a sense? Well, my dad is an engineer. And uh, so we always won the science fair at school, pre-internet, <laughs> which I always think is awesome. Like we would look through books. And so my dad was always pushing me to think outside of the box. When your father's an engineer, you're always looking at things. Like I can remember being on, the, on a boat and my dad talking about the oscillation of the waves. And we had just different things like that. And my mom, she really represented uh, to me this idea of doing the hard things. She was the first in her uh, family to go to college. And she was also the first woman in some of her business classes in college. So I got to see my mom, who was this real go-getter, pushing herself. Um, and as a child, I didn't really understand, like my mom's at work. But now looking back, I can see, wow, she really worked to define uh, a generation of women in the 80s like that, that decided to balance both home and work at the same time. That's cool. When you look back with the eyes that you have now, and we're going to circle around this, I think, a lot in our conversation, but I'm curious, when you look back at your mom now with those eyes that you have now, what what has changed in terms of your respect for her in a sense, or your understanding of her in some sense? I think that I would have more empathy. Uh, I remember once when I turned 10, which was my golden birthday, because my birthday is on the 10th, and my mom worked as an accountant at that time. And so February was getting close to tax season and quarter stuff. And so she had to work on my birthday and she worked late. And I remember being frustrated about it. And my dad saying, don't ever disrespect your mom for working hard again. And now looking back, I think, wow, she really had this drive and she had to to deal with the tension of knowing it was my birthday and the expectations that I had and also balancing it with the expectations of work. Well, fast forward a couple of days and we had this birthday party at my house for me and my, my grandpa's birthdays were by me and my dad's and my mom did all these extra little things. And I thought how she balanced not being on that day on the actual birthday with giving that, um, really cool party that I remember. I don't remember any other ones except that one. And it just showed me how she really did strive to find that balance between being a mom and working to provide because my parents worked really hard to provide opportunities for us that you don't know when you're a kid, you're just mm -hmm. thinking it's just normal piano lessons, mm -hmm. swimming, all of that. Mm -hmm. What inspired you when you were a kid? Boy, that's an interesting question. What inspired me? I always liked to, it was my, I like to create and I liked this idea, this imagination aspect to life. And my dad, since he was always a, a creator, uh, when he was little, he went and bought a computer um, 
1983 in a house back before Best Buy was Best Buy. We would like, if you wanted a computer, you had to find somebody that was selling them. And Minneapolis at that time was the leader in the tech industry. Mm. And I remember my dad and I, we went and bought a computer in somebody's kitchen. They're like on the top. And my dad taught me how to code. And I loved this idea of technology. So it really was thinking, doing things with my dad in that way where there was a start and then a finish. Like when I would code something on this old TI-99 or whatever it was, it would be like a little ball moving across the screen. But I remember thinking, wow, how does these numbers and stuff create that? Mm, That's amazing. When you... um looked up at the stars as a kid it's a little bit different question but if you know you had that moment of looking up at the stars what did you dream of doing well when I was really little it was probably it was teaching inspiring people I always loved being that person that could say something that would change everybody's perspective and I just and when you're little you don't really know the whole realm that we do now like motivational speakers or all that so of course I think I attached it to being a teacher at that Mm. point, I'm going to do that. And, uh, that was really what I would, I would dream about. Cause I just, I loved the, the energy of when I would get to present in front of the classroom, all my friends would kind of shy away from it. I'm too nervous. I'm too nervous. And there was something that I knew even as a little, a little girl that I loved being in the front, whether it was sharing a little bit of information or making people laugh or whatever that was. And, when you look at the stars, you're not really bound by limits. You're mm-hmm. allowed to have that moment of, of possibility. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the time where you discovered, either discovered that you wanted to be a mom or you started reflecting on being a mom. Cause I'm kind of curious to walk through this pathway of how somebody does become mom of seven kids. So you must've had something, something a nurture spirit inside you. Did you discover that early in your life or did you know about it? Uh, well, I never planned on the, in the, like if someone would have said to me, you're going to be the mom of seven, I would have said, what? There's no way. And mm-hmm. for a while, um, I, when I was married, I really devoted myself into motherhood and raising my children and that whole realm. And I loved it. I mean, I threw myself into motherhood. I homeschooled them. My oldest daughter graduated from, uh, basically from my home with a scholarship to SPU and on which she was a photographer. And I think it was because I allowed this space for her to, to figure out who she was without the confines of a box. And, um, so motherhood for me was this amazing place of understanding my own limits. I learned that perfectionism was something that was actually keeping me stuck. And when you have many children, you, you can't be perfect. You have to understand what you can let go of and have a little bit of given and what is your die hard thing that you're not going to bend on. And it taught me a lot about that. And the nurturing part, I don't know if I've instinctively always been a super nurturing, but I've been really good at listening and really mm-hmm. good at like, with my kids, not deciding to have the answers, but to come underneath them and listen to what their heart is. So I have this intuitive spirit, which I believe my parents knew when I was a child um, and maybe didn't know how to manage it because I would be the little one twirling outside in the snow or something, being caught up in the magic of it. And uh, I went through a lot of life thinking that, oh, 
I don't know how this fits in with the rest of the world, but the older I get, I've understood more and more that that ability to have empathy and intuition is a real powerful driving force in creating change in community. Hmm. I'm, um, I, I don't know how much you want to get into it or not, but I'm interested because I think it's, it's powerful from an understanding perspective, but I know that y- you, you got into a sort of what you defined as a lane sort of crisis where you had sort of def- deflected interest in the financial aspect of your, of your life. And then sort of that came to uh, fruition in, a, in, in some difficult times and that's maybe precipitated your divorce, et cetera. You can tell me or not tell me the details of that, but I'm quest- my question comes really more to, to parse out this idea of how people function in a relationship, especially with many children. And there's usually a sense of finding your lane because it, it makes it work. Right. right. So I'm, so my, I'm interested now that you reflect back how, you you do that, but at the same time, not lose yourself and your and your the value of your understanding of what's going on in the other lane. In some sense, if that question makes sense to you, totally makes sense. So I love the analogy of the lane, and I definitely think that I when you're in a relationship like that, there is the lane, or I talked about it as being even a role. My role was wife and homemaker is what I just adopted as my identity, and with my ex, his was a provider in that aspect, and. I got so cemented in the role that for a while, I would say that I did lose myself because I allowed myself to only exist in this role, thinking that if I was good enough or did enough or all of that, that it would create kind of a swell so that his role would be affected. And what I ended up finding myself in is if you're in that role and you kind of put blinders on to the other roles that you should, that that involve a life, finances or all of that, um, you can potentially lose yourself and find yourself in situations that are are rather dire. And so I challenge people all the time that no matter what role you're in to, or what, what you've adopted, whatever lane is to take the blinders off to see what's beyond what's on the shoulder and where you might be missing because we all have blind spots. And so for me, it was, at one point, our finances were, they were very, very unbelievably difficult and not being taken care of. And I realized that I needed to, I guess, if you're going to say lane, expand my lane, mm-hmm. I needed to step into that space, even though I didn't quite know how I was going to do that and manage seven kids. But I knew that there was no, there was no way for me to not overtake that space and claim it because otherwise I was just a victim of a lane that I should have been involved in that wasn't being taken care of. And I didn't want to live being the victim of, of circumstances that I could actually step into and control. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in, in relationships and the relationship spectrum is very vast and everybody has opinions. I'm, I'm, right. I, I, I'm, I'm interested more from your insight from having experienced it, um, how you feel the brokerage of understanding lanes should, should or would be better managed in a relationship i.e at the end of the day having lanes in essence allows you to function better as a a a partnership um so is it a communication strategy what what do you recommend in essence to be able to sort of navigate that and and stay cognizant but not um not have to have every touch point because then that sometimes can become very um demanding as well if you try to do everything right It's so true. I I believe it is communication. And it's also 
aligning yourself with somebody that's appreciative and respectful of the different lanes that you're in. Uh, because sometimes we can stay aligned with, with a situation, with, a, with an individual, with a career. And if the other lane that you've aligned yourself to partner with uh, doesn't, doesn't um, I guess, perform or, see, or lives with apathy, then by nature of being linked, you're, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to bring yourself up, like the rising tide aspect mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. it. So it's communication. And in, in the communication I would be to me is being able to communicate about the different spaces that you're in without taking offense. Because so many times when you have communication, it can seem like the other person's getting after you or something like that. But to be able to have the rationale to step back and go, we're in this together. These whatever lanes, roles we're in are part of a bigger picture. Uh, and I think that's sometimes where it breaks down is you don't see that you're moving collectively towards a whole. You could be in separate lanes, but be not parallel or, or moving off in different directions. Mm-hmm. So it's constantly trying to, to weave them back for the common goal, for the mission of your, of your family, of your business. And I, I believe that's part of it is we get so stuck in a system or comfortable with things that, where things are that we forget to reassess priorities, what the direction is, where we're going, if we're on the same page. Awesome. <clears throat> um, what did you learn about yourself and going through a divorce? That I can do very hard things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that things that I thought that I couldn't survive before, but I had the intrinsic capability to survive. I also learned that I had made agreements with myself about worth, about capabilities that needed to be broken that we sometimes don't even look at. Um, for my whole life, I had told myself that I would never be I would never get divorced was a phrase that I would say. I would just say it so like, and I think that when we give universal qualifying phrases like never or always, it's a place where we need to really actually pay attention. Because if I'm going to do that, it means that I've let my guard down to that place because I've assumed I'm never going to get divorced. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I also had attached to it with this, this shame about, oh, how could this be my story? And I, I came to this place of realization that if I lived with the shame defining my story, I limit the rest of my story. So there's a moment in life where you have to decide to be grateful for what you have in the past, learn from it, but also move forward with such intentionality and focus that you don't allow the past to be any, something that weighs you down anymore. I'm interested in your, um, I, I, I view failure as something that you, you don't achieve something um, and you don't learn from it. So from my perspective, uh, you know, I've been divorced twice. My first divorce, I didn't learn from it. I, I look at that as a failure, whereas I look at my second divorce as one I learned a great deal about myself from. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look back, what was the, what was what was your culpability that you've learned about of, you, of yourself that you that you've recognized in yourself that that you now look back at and say, or since then have said, I needed to change this. I needed to to grow dimensionally um, and and get better at. Uh, boy, I, I need to learn to speak my mind. That was what I was not very good at. I I know that. My part of it was 
I wasn't willing to cross into the other lane. I was a little bit passive in my own experience with it. And in the passivity was because I was, I was, I really did live in a lot of fear. I allowed fear to become a filter with which I saw the entire world and fear is limiting if it's not controlled or not uh, rightly ordered. And so I, I became fearful of even simple things like, well, I don't want to step overstep my bounds. And so that part of it really was, I, I would say something I learned about myself was that it's okay to speak up mm-hmm. and it's okay to, to have a voice in something. And it's okay to rock the boat a little bit because I'm a person by nature that can come into a situation. And if people are, disagreeing could sit at the table and and calm the entire room, try to hear everybody's viewpoint. But so much that I sometimes would forget to fight for my own heart or my own viewpoint. And I would just exist with, oh, it's no big deal. It's fine. And that really, it was me excusing my own decision-making power. Mm. And that's something that I, I, I want my kids to learn too, is this idea that you know, you can't fight for everything, but if you're constantly saying, I don't care, it's no big deal, you're really not listening to who you are and who you're created to be and doing all of that. So for me, the responsibility was not being willing sooner to say enough to situations that needed to be changed. And it seems like, oh, well, that doesn't seem like anything, but it really is the truth. Like there should have been a line where I actually probably would have overstepped the role to try to fix it earlier, but I just, I was so fearful. Mm. What it is, uh, I've had lots of conversations with, with women around these subjects over my life because I always find them very interesting. And I, I, there seems to be a thread, and, and I know it's a generalization, but a thread around this concept of guilt around achieving personal personal dreams in association with achieving motherhood dreams. Um, where does that come from and how, how do we suggest women overcome that or how to, and also from the perspective of a man in a relationship, how do we support overcoming that in some sense? I think that that's a, I mean, that's what my, actually I write about a lot is this idea this balance of motherhood and, and personal dreams and somewhere in culture, it's gotten really kind of jumbled up and mixed up. And I, I don't know if it's because truthfully, this is the first time in history where, well, in the last hundred years, where there's been enough time for anybody to actually say, what are your dreams? Because for most of our earthly existence, we've, our, our ancestors, it was really about how do we get to live to be 40? That was a good life. And so now all of a sudden we're a, a culture of people living to be 80 and experiencing these 40, 50, 60, 70, these years without even much history of what have people done for all this time. We would be old back then. So I think the motherhood aspect too is similar in like, we get to these places where we think midlife crisis. Well, we've automatically assumed that it's negative. Crisis means negative versus just midlife self-discovery. Um, just this reevaluating. I certainly wouldn't want to be my 20-year-old self but just because I'm reevaluating at 40 doesn't make it a crisis or wrong. So this balancing for moms is, I, I really do believe that for most of time, mothers and women really devoted themselves into being 
I mean, that's what it was, was moms. And, but all of a sudden we have this space, this freedom to kind of figure out like, wow, what am I good at? Am I, I'm good at uh, playing piano or I'm good at speaking or I'm good at writing. And somehow we've, we've associated, well, if I'm good at that, I'm taking away time from my kids. Well, we've made it this like, I'm not as good a mom thing. Whereas my whole posture, my heart, my, my drive is to say that when we cultivate and fill the dreams, the places that we're awesome at, like my parents saw, gave me piano lessons when I'm four. Um, when I cultivate that as an adult, I'm basically teaching my children. You don't have to forget all the stuff that you learned that you're really good at when you become an adult. And when I fuel my own tank, when I follow my passions, I'm also filling my heart and teaching my kids and others that it's okay to take care of yourself versus just this denying of self, which leads to burnout. Mm. That's wonderful. What What are some of your mom performance secrets? Like, you know, I'm, I'm in the world <laughs> of performance. So how, you know, how do you stay healthy? How do you take care of seven wonderful people and then stay sort of focused on what your dreams are? What are your performance secrets or one, two, three that you could give to my listenership? Well, the first one is you have to schedule time for yourself because nobody else is going to put that on your schedule. And if you don't put it on, it's not going to happen. And a lot of moms, I'll, I'll say to them that we don't miss our kids' doctor's appointments, all of that stuff. And yet for ourselves, we're like, eh, I'll just wait. Eh, I'll just wait. And we have to schedule our time. Like if we want to work out, we have to commit to doing it and put it on the schedule. I say put it in pen, put it on your phone so it wakes you up. It's a, a reminder. I, I love like the Streaks app. I love that idea of this accountability. And then the second thing is I think we tend to overcommit when we schedule ourselves too. Like all of a sudden we're like, okay, I'm going to get up an hour earlier. I'm going to do all this. I'm going to work out. And then we forget that we're like changing the entire culture. So I always say, if you want to get up an hour earlier, the easiest way to teach yourself to do it is to set your alarm for a minute earlier for, for 60 days. And you'll just gradually get to that place. And uh, creep. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Cause it's just like, I can do it. But if you try to do it, all of a sudden, it's like that time change all of a sudden, which we all hate when the time changes and it's so hard. And the last thing that I've really learned is to be adaptable. Nothing breaks determination, drive, or vision other if you're too concrete in something. Because motherhood and life in general, it's, it's, a, it's a constant battle of adapt, being adaptable and changing with everything. And Sometimes the greatest opportunities can happen on the days when you think that, oh, this day is absolutely crazy. But because you decided to just go with the flow, the opportunity is right there. It's, mm. it's when we try to live, I tried the schedule that was super color-coded. And it might be just for me. I'm not a very linear person. But after about three days of it, I thought I was going to go nuts because... <laughs> I wasn't allowing the flexibility of my children either because mm -hmm. they were being forced into a paradigm where their natural hearts didn't work as well. So it mm -hmm. really is this ebb and flow. Yeah. I asked uh, uh, one of the athletes that I work with as an Alpine skier is, has four kids and I, his wife always seems so unflappable. And I said to her, <laughs> how do you do this? Cause I only have one and they, my one right. flapped me pretty good. But I, I always say to her, how, how are you so unflappable? And she goes, I have no expectations. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. Well, you know, what's great about it too, though, like that, that philosophy is 
so if my kids mess up, it's not, I, I can help them out, but I don't have to say, oh, you're, I don't have to take that label of you're not, you're just a horrible mom because mm-hmm. we forget that our kids are human. Like they are just these humans experiencing stuff. And we have to be able to almost separate ourselves from labels of good mom, great mom, good parent, good dad, all of that. And just go, okay, how do I show up and be what they need to help them through this situation? Mm. Um, I'd really love to hear your thoughts on, I, I assume out of your seven, you have some girls. I do. My yeah, first three are girls. Seven yeah. boys. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I <laughs> Everything do have two phases. Broken. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I, I was very humbled that way. My first three are girls and then my last four are boys. So I've had this like bizarre experience of raising them and then, and having these ideas like, huh, why are those boys in the pickup line playing with sticks? And then being very humbled because now I have four of them that now we have rules of like, you can only jump from this step no higher at my house or my 11 year old like thinks my house is a parkour course and I have to be like, you can't jump on the piano. So, and things I wouldn't have tolerated now just becoming, okay, that's, that's kind of normal. So, yeah. So for, for the girls on that side, cause I have a girl, but also cause you know, your book is written for women, but <clears throat> there seems to be an inherent, um, what I would describe as a self-worth um, piece in the back of um, girl, little girls world from, from when they start. And I noticed that in my daughter and it didn't seem to matter what process of love or conviction or connection we all had there. Those questions marks were there. So as a mom, how do you um, create what you're what you're working to create now in in women uh, who are adults, what do you do to create that in your girls now as as they grow up? Uh, well, one of the things I've taught them, especially because hormones and stuff with girls, is you're and you know it applies for everybody. Is but I was constantly told them you are not your emotion, mm-hmm. you are simply feeling an emotion. Like you, the second you attach yourself to an emotion, I'm failing. I'm happy, I'm forgetful, whatever it might be, is you're kind of at the whim of whatever you're feeling. And so I needed them to take this moment where they step back and realize they were greater than any emotion that they were feeling. And that really helps, especially in those hormonal teenage years when all of a sudden everything is filled with emotion. And we live in this world where you're just getting kind of zinged at it. So I tell them that, and I also tell them to imagine, especially for girls with their identity, I want them to know who they are, that they're capable and strong, and they can do hard things, and that they're valuable. But the world teaches, and people say something to them. So I've told my kids, all of them, to imagine that they've got the most giant puffy snowsuit on at all times, and underneath is their core you, and that puffy snowsuit, anytime anybody shoots something at them, says something about their identity, that's like the buffer and they get to decide, does that actually truth about me or am I going to let it go? And teaching them that ability earlier helps because I think that, especially with social media, my girls were like kind of at the older part when I, like my oldest daughter had to teach her how to use a mouse. I can remember very quickly, like this experience of like, and if you move your arm and your hand, look at the thing on the screen. Whereas my little guys, like they knew how to use an iPhone before. I don't mean they were like born knowing how to do that. (laughs) So I think that as I've watched social media change, it's more like 
that they understand that most people kind of filter their best selves. And I think that this generation is aware of that in a way that is powerful and we just need to tap into it. Like Mm. this idea that they have Instagram or like the real life stuff, or they don't want to use the filters or they, they have this speaking up about being authentic and all of that, I believe is a direct result to a culture that made everything look very perfectly packaged for a while. And so with my, my daughter, Grace, she's just a spitfire of a person so much that I have to almost rein her back in. Like, you can't fight for everything right now. You just need to pick and choose your battles. <laughs> <laughs> to, uh, you know, my listenership, there's a fair number of men in the listenership. So I'm interested to know from your perspective how we can be better partners in a relationship. What can we do to help you be the person you want to be? Well, I think it's a mutual give and take. Mm -hmm. I think it's neither partner, person, I want to lose their heart. And I think that's very easy to to do in a relationship. I I once heard somebody describe that if you're only looking for the other person to give you fulfillment and both of you are doing it, you're like two vacuums sucking with the hoses where you're just sucking the life out of each other. And so the best part, I think, is encouraging that time of, hey, you need to just go refuel or you need to go play basketball or you need to take time doing this and looking at the other person fueling their heart or following their passions as something that's not a threat, but as something that offers back into the relationship. It's like an investment into the relationship collective as a whole. Uh, I think it's when we start to say, no, why are you doing that? What are you doing? You're taking time. It's that's where the resentment comes in. And resentment is just, it's like taking deposits out of a, of a, out of a relationship. Uh, but when we can, each side can both freely give and appreciate the other person for where they are and keep them on track. I think that the relationship as a whole can thrive because it's no longer just self or it's together understanding that every, we each have our hearts and dreams and, and that each of them matters. And, it's this encouragement of let's not burn out as a couple. That's awesome. What does writing do for you? Gives me a glimpse into my own heart. I would say that is really what it is. I, it, it, it was my initial time of figuring out who I was, uh, but writing, it helps me tap into this collective experience we have as individuals and as a collective and I always say that the way I see the world is if we're in a big room and everybody's seeing the big whatever, there's like a big present in the middle of the room, I can see the stuff in the corner. And somehow when I'm able to write, I can share about the nuances of life. And I love that moment when somebody comes back and says, whoa, it's like you're in my head. Hmm. And that's just kind of me. I would just say getting into that zone of not allowing expectations or should I say that or not? If I can just allow myself to free up and get into that space and write from that space, that's the stuff that resonates. And I love when I am able to get to that kind of, I would say, you know, with your athletes, it's like that peak moment, that moment where you just know, and you're right there. And you can't like try to replicate it. It's almost like letting go enough so that you can get there. Tell me what the steps 
you know, I'm sure that there were some very dark days when you got divorced and you, you were moving forward. How, how did you get out of that and find the person you have become in essence? What was that process for you? Uh, it was a great deal for me. Music is very powerful and I had songs that I would play over and over that would be louder than the doubts in my head. Mm. Um, because a lot of times I would hear, who do you think you are? What are you doing? You're messing up your life. And I would need to listen to songs like uh, Kelly Clarkson, You're Stronger, or there's one by One Republic marching on. I need to listen to songs and words that over overwrote my own fears until I started to actually believe those words more than the doubts. So uh, that helped me a lot was that constant move that constant reminder of capabilities when I would doubt it. And I had people that were in my, my support team that would say, you need to like get your head on straight again, or you need to kind of pick it up. And those people are invaluable. You don't realize it until you, at least I didn't realize until I got out of it that I was like, wow, they really carried me in those moments when I didn't realize it. So that's my charge to people is to, if you ever say to somebody like, wow, you are so strong. I couldn't be that strong, that that is probably an alert for you to step into their life because they're in a situation where you've recognized the extreme amount of strength for them to survive that situation. And that person probably is thinking, I don't really have any other choice, but being strong and they just need somebody to say, hey, let me help you out. Because they're, they, they're at that place of absolute sheer grit survival. Who, who was a shining star for you that helped you get past? Maybe he doesn't even know they were. Uh, well, I have my friend Maria. Uh, she lived behind me in Minnesota. But she just never, ever gave up. She knew me before. She knew me as homeschooling, married mom of seven. And then she knew me as a single entrepreneur working mom of seven. And the before and after didn't matter to me. What mattered to her, what mattered to her, what mattered to her was that she was my friend. So she was always in my corner. And there was a day that it was about, I would say 10 days after I ended things. And I just, when you go through that, there was like, all of a sudden I'm dealing with anxiety and panic because those doubts were so loud. And my friend, Dan, he found her. So he's another hero. He found her on Facebook because he lives here. He lives here in Nashville and he did then and sent her a note saying, Rachel needs help. Cause I was having a panic attack and she's a teacher. She left school, drove to my house and sat next to me until I could get perspective again. And that to me is an unbelievable, that combo right there of we are not going to let you fall is unbelievably valuable. All right. There's a piece I do in my podcast. I um, found my uh, purpose. Well, I always kind of knew what my purpose was in my gut, but I found a book called the day you were born that this woman in New York city, Linda Joyce wrote, which I uh, was lucky enough to be able to actually interview her. Cool. A little while ago, which was really neat. And Linda, Linda's an astrologer who took astrology and numerology, combined them. And with each birth date, what she did was she created a, 
a purpose statement and then usually linked it to a, a saying and then talked about who you were. And for me, the saying that was uh, in the book was one I'd already had taped to, to my desktop for probably 10 years before. And I read the book. That's so cool. Moment of shivers when I, when I read it. So one of the things I do in my podcast is I read everybody their purpose and then I read some things about them, whether it resonates with you or not, I don't know, but a lot of people it does. So you are an Aquarius one. <clears throat> so your purpose is to be able to make maintain your individuality and goals in spite of the endless changes and crises that cross your path. The saying it goes with this is familiar things happen and mankind does not bother about them. It requires a very unusual mind to undertake the analysis of the obvious. Alfred North Whitehead, British philosopher. The Aquarius one has a great mind, but it can be un unbending. Their principles are strong and their nature perfectionist. They want things right and according to their vision. Loners by nature's nature, Aquarius ones, don't let others in easily. Authority or father, father issues are strong. They may have had to break away from home in order to pursue their dream. Aquarius is about forgiveness and reconciliation. These come easily once Aquarius ones access their higher purpose. The heart has a great capacity to love. They should not be afraid of losing their identity as the right union will empower them. Relationships can be difficult because they value their freedom with a passion. They need to be careful they don't go through people too quickly, ending the relationship as soon as their partner starts making demands. They have a strong sense of justice and will reach out to help friends in need. When they are, they're generous, they give everything. When they pull back, they pull back completely. They must learn inner discipline and build a bridge between these two extremes. They either reject responsibility or take on too much. Although adventure and far, faraway places are constantly calling, calling them, they need to manifest a talent or become the best at a skill in the world will value. Once they have achieved their fame, they must use their position to open the hearts of others. Okay. I'm like <laughs> totally blown away. Like I'm thinking, this is the uh, podcast. <laughs> Very good. That's awesome. So I, I can love send it to you if you want. But I would love that. I cool. I absolutely would love that. I'm on this, as you can see, this constant quest of understanding, and I love like this because it just gives you an insight when you have an open mind into who you are and who you're created to be and I just this idea of the, the loner by nature <laughs> it is so true because you know the funny thing is I speak in front of a lot of people and everybody assumes extrovert extrovert let's go meet hang out with her mm -hmm. but it's so I have to have my moments just sitting in my house with my ear earphones and just kind of hanging out. I, I mean, I've, I've always joked, like I, I couldn't quite be Walden by his own pun, but I mean, I understand the whole idea with that. Mm -hmm. So, and I've fought it. I've kind of fought that um, part of me. I mean, the part with the father, the father stuff. I mean, it's always been, I want to please my dad. I want to please my, you know, like that whole aspect. So I'll probably read that many, many times, tape it on my fridge, point it out to friends, like right here, look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've read mine many times and I use them to sort of better understand my spouse or other people just because, uh, you know, whether there's a deep truth to it or not, I think it is very insightful at moments. And it's been funny uh, experiment doing it with how many people just go, holy cow. I'm um, sure that's got to be one of your favorite times of the podcast because we probably all are like, 
if you had the video for us, we'd all have our jaws down. It could be like a little collage. I'm like, really? It's the what the F moment in the whole yes. thing. So good. <laughs> if you ran into yourself at 20, um, the 20-year-old you, what would you say to you? Oh, I love these questions. Uh, I would tell her to be courageous and that you're way stronger than you think you are. Uh, mm. And... Uh, I, I love that idea of kind of going back in your mind and just almost changing that. And cause we, we tend to look back and think, Oh, I really screwed up or I really messed up or how did that happen? And, you know, we're just, to be honest, most of us are humans having the best experience and we're trying our hardest in those moments. We just don't know when we're 20, I'm making a decision out of 20 years of experience. So mm-hmm. for me at 43 to go back and say, I mean, I have 23 years on that person, Mm -hmm. but I would really, really want to tell her just like my daughter is, my one daughter is 20, that her heart matters and your heart matters so deeply and to invest back into it. But, you know, you just don't know how strong you are until you're in those situations. And man, we got strength in us. Awesome. How do you define success for yourself at this point in your life? Um, I look at success as it's differently than I would have back when I was 20. I would have thought that the big house, being successful, all of that. To me, it's more of this place of changing other people's lives. I know that I'm not supposed to be here just to live in my own bubble. I'm not supposed to. I'm supposed to. My success is teaching my children to, to see somebody else beyond themselves and to make an impact for other people, uh, that they have this awareness that they are able to do hard things and this capability. And success for me now is being able to provide for my family because I lived in a place of not. And I really do think that that is a place that um, is important because because I can provide, I can give back. If I lived in a place of poverty or all that there's so much stress with it that I can't really give to other people but to get to a place where I have enough income that I can actually give back is a place of success because then I'm able to help promote change I'm able to teach somebody else the tools and I just read this article about you know the teach a man to fish article and versus give him a fish Mm -hmm. and what I liked about it was this acknowledgement that you should give him a fish in the beginning because they're hungry is when you say just teach him to fish you're not really saying hey this person you're not acknowledging the need Mm -hmm. and um, give them the fish feed them help them out and then teach them to fish while they're fed so success for me now is the ability to not just say here's what you need to do to change but to come into somebody's life feed what they need because I have that space and margin and then help us move collectively towards a greater good. Great. What, what is the mission of your book? Like uh, what does Braveheart of Motherhood, what is, what is it about in, a, in essence? It's truly about not losing yourself in the midst of motherhood, finding your heart again, knowing who you are. And for many women, they get stuck in cycles that they think that are unbreakable or they put themselves on hold. When the kids get hold, when the kids get older, I can change, change, you know, do follow my dreams. If the money gets fixed, then I can go speak. Uh, so they get stuck in this cycle. And I saw that through my writing, all these women would write in, they'd get to this place when the youngest child would graduate where they had lost themselves. They'd get divorced. They 
they would go through these crises. It was just, they get depressed, all these different things. And I realized what was happening was, is there's so much emphasis being a good mom, showing up, all that, but no emphasis on the balance of being a good mom, but putting your own oxygen mask on. Mm-hmm. So really the book is put your oxygen mask on first, then put it on your kids. But if, and flipping that paradigm around, because then we're really all a stronger culture, a stronger mom, and we can be better moms to our kids. What scares you? Um, being alone. Hmm. Even though I'm a loner. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, um, but I know, it, I know it instinctively. It's instant being alone. Uh, I think it goes back to one of my earliest memories is of which you'd be intrigued with probably with all of this is of, I asked my mom once if I'd ever attended this daycare where I just described it. And she says, well, I don't know how you know about that. And I said, I don't know. I just remember. And she said, well, you went there one day and you wouldn't stop crying. So she strapped you in the car seat in the front uh, entryway until I came back. And that was, I remembered it. And I was about nine or 10 months old. So I think it instinctively put in me this fear of being abandoned. So despite being that way, I have to fight that so that I make sure that I align myself with people that want to stay with me, not I align myself because I don't want to be left alone. Hmm. Last question for you. What is the, you know, you're going to perish from this world one day, hopefully not for a long time. What, what, what do you want to be remembered for? Um, boy, that's a really good question. I, I want people to say she was a kind person that believed in the capabilities and that believed in the potential of others. Hmm. And she didn't, she would show up for everybody else. Um, That's what I want my kids to know. Like, I don't want them to think back and think, wow, she was the perfect mom. I want them to have those memories of my mom. She showed up and she's shown kindness and she didn't quit. And she changed lives because of that. So it doesn't need to be a big giant president, whatever thing. I just want to be the person that when people would tell a story, they would tell a story of, wow, I remember when Rachel showed up for me in this way. Because when you show up for people, you change people's lives. Sounds like you're doing it. Oh, well, thank you. That last question got me teary. (laughs) Your final line, once they have achieved their fame, they must use their position to open the hearts of others. I think you're you're achieving that, so keep doing it. Well, thank you. You got me very teary. But you, you're, these questions were fantastic. <laughs> well, it's been wonderful talking to you. And thanks for taking the time. Uh, I'm sure out of uh, the busy life that you have, uh, giving an hour to me is uh, worth uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of gold medals, so to speak. So thank you. Well, I appreciate it. This has to be in one of my favorite podcasts. I appreciate the line of questioning. So it was fabulous. Oh, thank you. Have a good day. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Payne, and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day.